1: Yes, it does. Morgan & Wilfin live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Brian Sullivan. Your traders tonight are Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We're also joined by Chris Verone. He is head of technical analysis at Strategus Research Partners. All right, tonight on Fast, Carlos Ghosn speaking out. After his wild and energetic press conference, we have insights from our interview with the fugitive former leader of Nissan. Constellation Brands investors, they're fired up right now. Turns out it's investment in cannabis, maybe not as bad as once feared, but the rest of the industry follows suit. And Bed Bath and Beyond Bad, BBY shares getting an F, the stock is down 20% after it withdrew its sales guidance and sales in the quarter tank, the stock actually down about 12% right now. It is fast, it is fluid, and it's a big job for the new CEO. All of that and more ahead, but let us begin with this. Kind of like Bed Bath & Beyond, it's been a wild 24 hours for your money. Moments after we got off the air last night, the news hit that Iran launched missile strikes on two Iraqi military bases that house American troops. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, but the attack sent S&P futures plunging. Then Iran calmed it down a bit, saying it would stop there if the United States did not launch any new attacks. Futures immediately rebounded, making up nearly all of their losses. The market's open, and they're pretty much flat until shortly after 11 a.m. Eastern time. That was when President Trump addressed the nation, saying Iran, quote, appears to be standing down. And just like that, stocks surged. The Nasdaq closing at all-time highs again. So, Guy Adami, here we are, yet another
2: potential crisis, but yet more new highs. What do you make of it? Well, I think I tried to make this too complicated. I said it for a while. I mean, clearly I've missed, in terms of the broader market rally, this for quite some time. But maybe it is as simple as this. Maybe it's as simple as if the Fed keeps adding liquidity on a daily basis. Again, we'll say by April of this year if At current pace, the balance sheet will be at record highs. I think that's madness. It doesn't matter. And the fact that passive investing is a thing and money flows into the market regardless of headline. Now, you know, loss of life aside, I don't even think the market cares regardless whether or not something did escalate last night. I think it's so, it's so insulated from... Outside news that it just seems but, to go higher hold regardless. On, guy. follow up on that. So what will matter? I don't know. The Fed I've will thought in none. Yeah, the, well, the, the, if the, the Federal Fed Reserve stops.
0: And, and your guys saying this. I mean, you know, we we know that the, the quarter of a trillion dollars of balance sheet that was basically added at the end of the year, um, and, and we also know that we're here on this show to not necessarily talk about the travesty and the sadness of life. We're here to talk about what, what's going to move markets, and, and and we can have a parade of economists all tell us the same thing: uh, that geopolitics, at least in the short to medium term, don't do anything. Uh, to change the economic path. And in fact, uh, I'm not going uh, to simplify the trade yeah. war down to that, mm. but even that is something that but we've there- had a cascade of economists telling us that that's not changing the path, and the economy is what matters for markets. Okay,
1: uh, I, I want to get the safety trade risk reversal, Dan Nathan, because there, there's more, there's all this stuff now on the Internet about maybe more stuff over Iraq right now. You don't know. Point is, we are in a nervous market. We should be in a nervous market. How do we protect ourselves? If you are still just, as Guy said, passively putting that money in your 401k, 529, IRA,
3: whatever, is there a way to buy a little protection? Sure. Well, you know, that's a good question. And I think if you look at 2019, and Chris Verone and I were just talking about this, we started off on January 2nd or whatever, and we never looked back, right? It was off to the races. That's not a really common occurrence. And if you look at 2019, the S&P 500 did have three peak-to-drop declines that averaged about 6.5% or so. Nothing horrible held that uptrend. Now we broke out in October. We're up about 8%. We make new highs, it seems like, every day. If you're looking at the SPY, a lot of people were looking at the VIX last night when they saw the futures getting hit and the VIX was spiky a little bit. It was never up that much. You know, at the money, S&P... 500 whether it be SPX or SPY puts looking at a couple of months literally would cost you a couple percent to insure yourself so if that's something that you're saying I had a great 2019 I'm not so certain that up 28% maybe we pulled forward a little equity return given what the headwinds are and I'm worried about maybe the next time we see bombs lombed over maybe there's gas in them maybe they're a little more accurate you may want to have portfolio protection especially if you want to let things run a little bit and not panic like we saw last night in a lot of different asset classes.
4: And Dan I would echo that I would say the 10-day per call ratio is the lowest it's been in about 18 months, right? So there's some complacency out there we have to be mindful of. But I want to make a distinction between a pause or a consolidation and a top. And there's no technical indicators that a top is being put in place right now. You have 80% of stocks above their 200. That is a broad market. And look at the new high list today. It was risk on stocks. The casinos, LVS and Wynn, The brokers, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. I think that is suggestive of growth in 2020. But but Chris, the charts
1: reflect what we know and what is, the fear is what we don't know. That this may not be over. We could wake up one morning and have more headlines that are worse. Let's hope not. But
4: the charts aren't going to reflect the geopolitical risk. I think the question is, does positioning reflect the maturity of what we've seen in stocks over the last 12 or 13 months? The biggest well, inflows last year were in low vol stocks. That's where the excess is.
0: I, I, I agree. I, I think you're right, Chris. And I think the breadth of the market has certainly been impressive since October 3, really, since the S&P is up 12.5%. But what has led the way, even during that time, is the triple Qs. I mean, yeah. big mega cap tech is up 6% to the S&P during that time. And, and to what Dan is talking about, uh, look, I, I don't think people are worried about uh, you know staying even from last year. I think what, if anything, what the market worries about with the geopolitics you're talking about, Brian, is that there's not a 10% pullback. There's a 25% drawdown because people look at some of the absurdity of the world. And anyone who's got a mind on 2008 and lived through that believes it can happen again. So if anything, I think it's your 10% out of the money that's really the protection that people should have the confidence to go to sleep and invest in this market is because until the Fed and central banks really start pulling away the punch bowl, this market 's moving sideways and we 're growing at two percent
2: yeah that 's fair and you, know, you mentioned a skittish market, I mean maybe correctly, but at thirteen and a half the vix was actually lower today. I mean how skittish is the market with vix at these not, levels not it's, at all it 's not at all, and I think it again i 'll say it again maybe i 'm wrong, probably, but there 's a complacent there 's a bull market there 's a bubble in complacency. The fact that you know people continue to be rewarded, which is fine for buying markets that, that you know seemingly just go up, at a certain point, that ends. And I think we're a lot closer to it, but I've thought that for a while. I,
3: I want to bring it back home because we're talking about some of this geopolitical stuff. You know, one of the trades that I thought would have caught some steam if we thought that the trade situation was abating and that global growth was kind of coming back a little bit, green shoots in Europe, I would have thought that U.S. domestic names, think about Russell 2000, think about small caps, would have acted a lot better. We talked about the S&P broke out in late October, and it's up 8%. The Russell 2000, the IWM, the ETF, the tracks, it's up like 3%. It really lags. It's not particularly impressive. And the only thing that that's kind of saying to me right now is that they're, that domestic, you know, U.S. domestic is paying a little bit more attention to the trade stuff. Maybe it didn't abate as much as we think it did in December. And therefore, I'd keep an eye on that one.
1: Okay. So the big market turnaround may be leaving some investors on edge or maybe not with the VIX at 14 The Dow, though, effectively traveling 700 points from its lows overnight into today's close. So how should you navigate these wild swings? Should you be more nervous than the market thinks? Joining us now is Catacord Genuity's chief market strategist, Tony Dwyer. You were sitting patiently, Tony, listening to this conversation. My guess is you will say no, there's not a real reason to be afraid right now.
0: So don't put words in his mouth. I'm oh in man, this man.
1: really I funny position. Hold <laughs> the notes. You, you know, it the big got here a minute before the show <laughs> oh, started. <laughs> we'll give away our
0: secrets oh, here. All the big right,
5: right, come on. The big bull bull is usually the most bullish on the show and the most. You know, all year I've come here or, or last year I come here and, and to what we've been talking about before, Brian. The guys printing the money keep telling you they're going to print the money. And we keep trying to figure out if it's good or bad, right or wrong. It just is what it is. Now, to your point exactly, I feel like I'm the least bullish strategist out there right now. Everybody's ramping their targets to 3500 Everybody's picking on the bears that are switching. The, you know, put-call ratios are historically high. The money movement into leveraged funds, ETFs, is, is historic. The bullish ones is really rampant. I really kind of... I. I see about five percent upside. I also think that you could have a five to ten percent correction, just because it's up too much. There's too much euphoria and anticipation. The overall market, I would say, is up too much. Why the S and P five hundred. Because by too much, I don't think it's too much valuation wise or fundamentally. Fundamentally, I think we can go a lot higher over time. But there's times in the marketplace where you don't need to chase the next tick. With a fundamental backdrop of credit and all the things that in the turn and the pivot in the global economy, there's no way you want to be negative in my view. But there's times where you can just not chase the next tick. And if you wanted to buy, just wait for a little bit of a pullback and we're in that zone.
0: So because I did read his notes, Brian, I read that, in fact, you're not concerned about the spread of junk over, over investment grade, which is around no. 175, um, and that you're probably more talking about a pause. But you, you mentioned valuations, and that actually is what worries me. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, positioning is what it is, but I think that can move pretty quickly. But I look at price to sales, I look at EBE, EBITDA, uh, and I certainly look at PE ratios, and I see us back to levels that I think we haven't seen since some of the most bubblicious times.
5: Well, when, when you look at the average multiple for the S&P 500 on operating earnings, it's at 19 times when inflation between 1% and 3%, which it's been since 1995, and then back into the 1960s, to me. So you don't even have to go back there to find a higher multiple than we're at today. From nine, the third quarter of 2016 through the two, third quarter of 2018, you actually traded at 19 or higher. So actually, where we are or higher. So, you know, these targets that we put out are ridiculous, right, because you're guessing at a point in time of what it should be. It should be 19 or higher. I'm at 20 times. Which gets me my thirty-four forty. Could I make it twenty-one times if I wanted to play the game? I just think it's the process that's important. And in October, early October, when I sat on the desk and and it looked like the end of the world was coming and everything was rolling over on the trade war and it got too pessimistic, it was time to get in the game because the guys printing the money told you they're going to print the money. But they're not going to print it forever.
1: The Fed's balance sheet may not expand forever, but it, they may even start to reduce it. Okay, this at is going to be
5: heresy. Ready for this? Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In a primary currency, you can print as much money as you want as long as you're the primary currency. So the idea that they cannot do this, they're out of bullets, has clearly, by the expansion of the balance sheet, not been correct. So, again, I don't want to say whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, I'm not that smart. When they tell me what the game plan is... I don't need to be smarter than you. I have to listen. Yeah, but they didn't
3: tell you what the game plan is. Yeah, they did They actually said it wasn't QE. I mean,
5: that, that's oh, the no. thing.
3: Well, well, think about it. They said that it was a mid-cycle adjustment for the three consecutive rate cuts that started in July. But what happened with the balance sheet, they said was not QE, is not QE. Nothing to see here. All is well. Dan, you're right. But it doesn't
5: matter. Think about this. It doesn't matter if it's QE or not QE. It's money coming into the game. But I would take it back further. The dovish pivot in early January was the game changer. It was 1995 all over again when they went from tightening monetary policy to easing monetary policy in an administration that was under duress, right, which (laughs) has an analog to now. And the market gripped it and ripped it, went up 34 percent, followed that up with a 20 percent year in 1996, almost 30 percent in 1990 or no, 30 percent in 1997, 20 percent in 19. We have to stop with this is all over. It can correct. I think we're going to have a correction. I'm just asking people to not chase the tape. But until you have excessive valuations, which you know I don't think they are, Timmy, on the operating earnings basis, or all, all the money is coming because I just
1: Microsoft think- and Alphabet, Facebook, when you their, earnings, they, their earnings, their earnings don't care, and their structure is lower. PEs, over Baghdad.
0: That,
5: the, the, that's true.
0: What the, credit what, event.
5: What, so here's the thing. Timmy asked Just about the high-yield debt. Yeah. The high-yield debt market is really important. Would I go and buy high-yield debt at this tight of spreads? Not a chance. But what it is telling us is that there's so much money available to companies to borrow. It's such a cheap interest rate. There's no way I should be able to buy the house I can buy, because, but I can because interest rates are so low. Yeah. Companies are the same way. What do they do with it? M&A, buybacks, the whole nine yards, equity-friendly things. Tony, and you know what turns a 5% drawdown into a 15% event
4: is credit. And there's not a lot of yeah. evidence of a credit event going on right now. How does the dollar and rates factor into this drawdown? Is that a weaker dollar story or a stronger dollar story?
5: Chris, I, I love the dollar. It's never a positive for the market, right? Because when, <laughs> when it's going in the favor of S&P companies, well, it's currency translation. It's not organic. doesn't matter. But when it's going to hurt the companies, oh, wow, the dollar's going to hurt. If you look at it, the dollar index is at the same place it was at the end of 2014, yeah. despite all the calls throughout that entire period of how much it was going that, to go That's why, down. And
1: by the way, good point. Tony Dwyer, that's why we haven't talked about the dollar index, because it's been sitting there flat. Right. right. Like a and, calm sea, Tony years. Dwyer. Great analysis, good discussion. Thank Appreciate you, Appreciate the honesty and the candor. Thank you. S&P targets don't matter. Sort they never have, dude. <laughs> but... What does matter, Guy, Dom? I asked that earlier, and you, another, Mr. Honesty, you said, I don't know. And my point on everybody's buying the same five stocks vis-a-vis these ETFs, like the triple Qs and whatever they are,
2: does Alphabet care if some ships get mined in the Strait of Hormuz? Apparently not. I mean, so when, in terms of the downside, that was sort of my answer. I don't know what's going to take, I mean, you could have made a very cogent argument that last night was the start of something. Clearly it's not. I don't know what the exogenous event is. I wish I was smart enough. I do think a weakening dollar could be that. I do think rates going back down could be that. I think the gold market goes up every single day, could be telling you something. But you know what? To Tony's earlier point, you know, the Fed's giving you the playbook. You just got to play by their rules. All right. Good discussion, guys, in the macro markets. Now let's turn to the other
1: major story that we are following right now, follow-up to that tragic airplane crash in Iran. Here's what we know right now. The Boeing 737 went down shortly after takeoff from Tehran. The crash killed all 167 passengers and nine crew members on board. The cause of the crash is not immediately known. Let's get out of Philo with more on this developing story. And Phil, at first it was mechanical failure. I heard you on, this morning on Squawk Box yeah. talking about it. Ha- has the narrative shifted at all as yes. the day has gone on?
6: Yes, it's shifted primarily because... This doesn't add up, Ryan. Increasingly, when I talk with people who have been aviation accident uh, inspectors or who have worked with the NTSB or with the FAA, who now do this for a living as, as a consultant, whether it's with airlines, whether it's with Boeing, whether it's with Airbus, all of them have said the same thing. None of this adds up. And their primary feeling is this. Look, you just don't have a plane... Two minutes after takeoff, which is on a normal flight path, it hits 7,900 feet, there's no mayday call, and then, boom, all telemetry stops? No, that doesn't happen in a mechanical failure. These planes are designed, even if there is a fire, to give the pilots an opportunity to get back to the airport or to find a place where they could possibly land the airplane. None of that happened in this case, which is why people are saying, okay, something suspicious here. Will we find out the answer? Maybe not. Iran is saying it may not turn over to black boxes or the cockpit voice recorder. And if they don't turn that over, well, in this environment... The odds are the NTSB and the State Department will never be able to work out a way for Boeing or others to get their hands on those two. So it may remain a mystery. So as you take a look at shares of Boeing, yes, they were down pre-market when word first came out about this crash. Came back a little bit during the day. I would say that this stock is under pressure today, Brian, more because of the downgrade by Cowen, which said, look, the max issues will mean a lower free cash flow. I think that had a better, a greater impact, I should say, on this stock than the circumstances surrounding this crash. Yeah. Which, again, more more questions than answers and really suspicious across Phil, the board. Phil, how long have you been covering the airline sector? Uh, more than 20, well, more than 25 years now.
1: More than 25 years. We have seen black boxes not get found. Unfortunately, there are things in the middle of the sea where right. you just cannot locate. Have you in 25 years ever seen a situation where the black box
6: is located but not turned over. Uh, I haven't seen that, um, but it's not surprising. Look, the, the country where the accident happens, they control everything. So if you have a country, look, if there was a plane accident in uh, North Korea, is it likely we would get the, the black box if we wanted it? No. And it's, it's a similar situation going on in Iran right now doesn't mean it's not impossible. Look, at some point, Iran may say, here's the black box. We're going to turn it over yeah. to investigators so we can all analyze the data. But at this point, the early indication is they're not planning on turning it over.
1: No, but that, that North Korean Air Corio would have been a 40-year-old you know, 707 or Aleutian aircraft. It would not have been a three-year-old <laughs> yeah, exactly. Boeing 737. Philip thank you very much. All right. So let's talk about the stock angle, because, as you adroitly noted, that's what we do here, even though it was a tragic, obviously a terrible incident here, um, Tim, on
0: Boeing. We have to talk about the company. That's what we do. It was hard to believe the headlines this morning, especially as we were digesting missiles from Iran to Iraq. But when you consider uh, Boeing... Uh, Ukraine and, and Iran all in the same sentence and a crashed airline. I mean, it's so tragic. And, and the, the problem here is that if you looked at the stock, the stock didn't really digest this in the way that it was a continuation of a mechanical failure. So it tells you that there's something uh, the market believes is more spurious because if, in fact, this was mechanical failure, the stock um, should be down a lot more. There are big problems for Boeing, and there's arguably still sure there's people yeah. on this desk that feel it's a no-touch. I haven't been one of them, but I can tell you that based upon this news today, I don't know why you need to go buy, buy the, Boeing. Uh, um, it, you know, th- th- it's that simple, well even said. though we're all speculating that there, there could be foul play, there could not be. This is ridiculously tragic, and Boeing is still right now in the middle of this yet again.
1: Well, the Ukrainian airline noted it was one of their newest and best jets. That's literally how they described it, one of their best. All right, coming up, we have got a can't-miss interview with the fugitive ex-CEO of Nissan, Carlos Ghosn. Michelle caruso sat down with Mr. Ghosn In Beirut, you're going to hear more on that really fascinating interview with an even more fascinating press conference this morning on Fast Money right after this.
7: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
1: Former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn speaking out for the first time since fleeing house arrest in Japan. Ghosn holding an hours-long news conference this morning in Beirut. The former auto executive denying accusations of financial misconduct and said he did not flee Japan to escape justice, but rather... Injustice, CNBC contributor Michelle Cruz cabrera sat down with Ghosn for a rare one-on-one. She was also in the room during that press conference. She joins us live from Beirut. And I don't even know where to begin, Michelle, because that press conference, that was something I don't think the business community has ever seen before.
8: Yeah, it, it was pretty extraordinary to be there. More than 100 journalists in the room, four different languages that he conducted that news conference in, French. English Arabic Portuguese he didn't want to end it seemed until he had gotten to everyone if possible at first he tried to conduct it almost like a talk show host trying to walk through the audience but then the photographers claimed they couldn't get good video of him, so he went back to the podium when I sat down with him we talked about a number of things one of the things we discussed is as to why is it that you think the prosecution against you in Japan was invalid and why do you use words like plot and conspiracy why would they want to do that to you
9: well, I explained two reasons. First reason is the decline of the performance of Nissan, where I started to be extremely frustrated with the management that, uh, in fact, I put in place, particularly with Saikawa, so I was very nervous about his job, because he knew that, you know, me representing Renault with 43% of the shareholders, I had the power to remove him from the job at any moment, which in a way which is justified because the performance of the, of the company was declining. That's the first reason. The second reason, as I said, there is a lot of uh, people who really did not like uh, a kind of merger with Renault. And as long as I was uh, heading the alliance, they trusted that I would protect the autonomy of Nissan. I would protect Nissan from, you know, the fact that the French government wanted to interfere mm-hmm. into business that the Japanese did not like at all. Um, and um, uh, but, but they said, well, why do... You know, why do we have to wait for this guy? Why do we get rid of this guy? And if we get rid of him, in a certain way we get rid of Renault. We get rid of the influence that Renault has on us. And they were right.
8: You're saying that the desire to keep Nissan as a national champion was so strong they were willing to destroy you and your reputation? Without any doubt.
9: Without any doubt. Look what what they've done. Look look at the statements that were, were made by Saikawa after I was arrested. Look at, look at the, 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 the cooperation, the complicity between the prosecutor and Nissan, the support they got from the Japanese government. I mean, the whole thing doesn't make sense. That, I mean, for me, it was obvious. And, and they got what they wanted, except that Nissan today is running to the ground. That's, uh, the, this is the only thing they didn't think about, is about will they people be able to run the company? And the answer so far, after 14 months, the answer is no. Because the company's operating profit is going down. Uh, the, the 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 growth has completely disappeared. The market capitalization of Nissan went down by more than ten billion dollars. Everything is going down.
8: We also discussed, of course, his incredible escape from Japan. This international cloak and dagger uh, story, worthy of, of a, a Hollywood movie. You can hear about that in my interview with him, which you can see the whole thing on CNBC.com. And Brian, we also talked about the allegations against him in Japan and, and some of the allegations that have appeared in print in pl- places like France, where Renault is headquartered. So you can see his answers to those questions as well in that interview.
1: It, it was you. an unbelievable press conference, incredibly forceful, too, the way, the way that he w- went through those slides one by one. But right, Michelle, he is not out of the woods yet. I mean, Interpol has put out, I think, an arrest warrant for both him and his wife. I mean, is it possible he may never again in his life be able to leave Lebanon?
8: It is possible. He also has a French passport. He also has French citizenship and Brazilian citizenry and neither one of those countries extradite their citizens as well on principle. So in theory he could go to those countries but with an Interpol notice you have to worry about how do you get from you know place A to place B. Also there are allegations in France because that's where Renault is headquartered. So you have to consider those issues as well. But yes, uh, he's trying to figure out if that's going to be possible. But he also said, I asked him straight up, I said, listen, what if you have to spend the rest of your life in Lebanon? And he said, well, it's better than spending the rest of my life in Japan.
1: Michelle Cruz-Gabrera, great interview there. As we said, the whole thing on CNBC.com. Fascinating story as well. I know it's been a long day, Michelle. Thank you very much. I mean, Tim Seymour, I I know, listen, you, you study the world, you know corporate governance this is an unbelievable story on almost every level.
0: Look, this will be a movie and, and this was an extraordinary day and a guy that needed to get his voice heard and maybe maybe due process was not being had in Japan. Um, Renault trades at a discount and it trades at a discount for a lot of reasons. But corporate governance, folks, when you're looking at a discount rate for a company, uh, part of that is truly based upon either transparency or uh, macro factors related to the sovereign nation is it a national champion company? Which in many cases means that the country itself feels like they are more important than the company. I don't know if that's what went on here in Japan, but it's certainly part of the reason Renault has been trading at a discount. Despite some exciting news about some potential strategic partnerships, the company's been talking about with some U.S. players.
1: And he also said that he was offered basically double his pay to take the GM job. And he's like, I should have just taken that. I never would have got. I've got the movie, by the way. What's that? Gone Baby Gone. Wow. For more Michelle's interview, you can see more of it with Carlos Cohen on our website, CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else we've got coming up on
2: FAST. Got FOMO after missing out on last year's monster rally? Well, don't worry. Chris barone has got three must-own names for 2020. And later, we'll break down the after-hours action in Bed Bath & Beyond post-earnings. Is the new CEO turning things around? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
4: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports.
7: All right,
1: welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take another look at how we finished the day on Wall Street. It was really a wild 24-hour period. The day, yeah, we did finish off our highs, but the NASDAQ, yep, where we're sitting right now, once again, the big winner. Hand again, yep, you got it, another record close. So, with 2020 now in full swing, we're looking for the stocks that you simply don't want to miss out on in the new year. So let us go off the charts with Chris to
4: break down his top picks. Chris. Well, I got three, I think, three must-own names this year. We'll start with a very big stock, Facebook. It's really been dead money for the better part of the last two years, bumping up against that 210 level, bumping up against that 210 level. You had a 40% drawdown in 2018. So if you're looking for the bear market here, it already happened. What I think is very curious about the last number of months, that 200-day moving average has really started to hold as support. We did it twice uh, in 2019. And the breakout over the last several days, I think, is very compelling. We're looking to 280, maybe 300 uh, um, on this one this year. I think it speaks to overall tech and software generally getting better. Next one I want to talk about on the long side is GE. We obviously know how terrible this one has been, down 80 uh, over the last couple of years. But very quietly, over the last 18 or so months, we had this base starting to take shape. Getting up through 11 a couple weeks ago was a very big deal, I think on its way to 15, there are 25 analysts who cover this stock. Only you- five of them have a price target above the current level. So I think the analysts have to take up their numbers uh, here. And then lastly, we'll go back to the tech world, uh, consumer-driven out of China. We like China here. I think the best way to play it is Alibaba, another stock that basically has spent the better part of the last 18 months just in this big base, in this big range, just starting to break out. I think any consolidation back to the 50, maybe worst case 200, is an opportunity uh, to buy the stock. Stock traded about 215, 216 today. I think ultimately uh, going to 280 or 300. So Facebook, GE, Baba, I think three great longs for 2020.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Chris Ferron. Why don't you come back over to the desk and trade this information? Okay. Does any of these names, Facebook, GE, Baba stick out good or bad for either of you, anybody
2: here on the Facebook Dutch. makes sense I mean I think Facebook's a stock we've done well with this year in terms of levels and stuff we said textbook back over the summer in terms of its retracement levels Chris mentioned the chart levels now we're seeing levels we last saw in July of 2018 certainly appears as though we're breaking out to the upside you probably own it into earnings at the end of the month I would say this though again I don't think there's anything wrong with taking profits into that number We have seen tremendous drawdowns in the name over the years. The last couple of quarters have been unbelievably good to the upside. But you know what? I think now you're playing with house money. I would take a little off the table. Chris brought
0: up three really interesting names because they're they're rarely together in the same group, other than when a great uh, chartist says it's time. Um, So in the case of BABA, the fundamentals there to me make the most sense. I mean, you you really have a case where uh, on a peg ratio, so price to earnings growth, this is a company that's trading certainly sub one. It's arguably, you know, 25, 26 times. Uh, there's a lot of catalysts to the name, which also include that they may be spinning off uh, their, their Alipay, they may be spinning off certain parts of their financial empire, but, but really, look, their core e-commerce business is growing, and, and that's exciting. Also, that IPO locally means there's a lot of liquidity in the name on the other side of the world. It's not a surprise the stock's up 15% since that secondary.
1: Anybody have a view on GE? Because I know you guys talk a lot about yeah, I, Alibaba and you talk a lot about Facebook. GE...
4: You know what's really interesting about all three of these names, Brian, is they've all weathered really bad macro stories. Facebook antitrust, maybe not to the level of GE. Chris, GE, I mean, the business went is down dead, down right seventy percent. GE, Baba China. Story, so, I like stocks that don't go down on bad news, and I think all three of them start to exhibit those characters over the last year or so, and that's a compelling reason to own these things into what we think is a better macro year.
3: You know. Facebook's really interesting because you just said it's just gun come out the other end of something. And I'm not so certain about that. I, I just kind of feel like this is going to be like the poster child for ESG investing going forward. We know that it's a huge part of a lot of major indices, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think that the, there's a pendulum that has shifted with Facebook. And let's just be clear here. You know, 2019 was a year where earnings did not grow materially for the first time ever in their history because of all the things that they're trying to get out in front of. Sales, though, are downshifting a bit, at least growth-wise. You know, it's going to be a 20% grower, I think, for the next few years. That's the guess. But at some point, if advertisers do leave, if user growth decelerates, if engagement decelerates, and then sales growth decelerates the stock at 26 times, is going to look expensive, especially when you consider regulatory headwinds and some of the other things that might be just mechanical to the way ETFs and funds are created going forward.
1: All right. Good stuff there. And probably the, one of the first positive mentions of GE in a, in a long time. All right. Well, certainly of 2020. All right. Coming up, Bed Bath & Beyond shares. They are well off their lows. That's the good news. But they were down 20 percent at one point. They withdrew their guidance, their sales fell. We're going to take you inside their no-good, very bad quarter. And whether or not that CEO, the new one, is kind of throwing everything out there right now. Later on, ride-sharing and restaurant rating. Take a look at shares of Uber, Lyft, and Yelp all popping today. What changed for these stocks that investors have loved to ignore in the past? We're going to find out with Fast Money returns. And welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Bed Bath & Beyond. It is not pretty. All right. Sales coming in weaker than many expected at the company, withdrawing future guidance. Here's the good news. The stock, Chris, down 6.5%. I say that's the good news because about two minutes after this results came out, the stock was down 20%. Weird stock, too. Very heavily shorted, up
4: 70% in the past 90 days. I actually think this is a stock that's getting better. I know the numbers are bad, but look at the response after hours here. They had this down to 13 bucks. It's back to 1550. You had a big volume update a few weeks ago around the $15 level. I think if you can hold $15 tomorrow on terrible news with short interest, huge. I think there's 18-19 analysts who cover it. There's maybe only four or five buys on the stock. They have thrown the kitchen sink at
2: this one. If it holds some level, I might take a shot on the long side here. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, this is a stock we've talked about for a while. Courtney hosted the show the other night, and I said, you know what? Own it in your earnings. And yeah. if you're aggressive, you own it, own it post-earnings. That was clearly wrong. But I'll say this. The recovery is important. And look at this one number. Merchandise inventories for the quarter, which is important in this business, down 15.6%. Why is that interesting? Because it's a new merchandise inventory initiative they're taking. I think margins will be better next quarter. You can make a case that this is a new CEO sort of throwing the kitchen sink out. And if this stock comes close to opening unchanged tomorrow, I think you're going to have an 18 handle on it really uh, slowly.
0: you also brought this up the other day, rightly. You pointed out the 46% short interest. I mean, this stock has doubled um... going into this print so this reaction shouldn't be a big surprise but again you have to ask yourself uh, what's really the future for bed bath and beyond guys because outside of the scented candles that i know you show up weekly for um, I, I don't i don't see what they are doing what's the in-store experience that you get that no one else seems to get. I enjoy but, the but, stores, but by this the is way. what's
3: really interesting in these conversations we have about some of these big box guys and some of these department stores. This is a company that's eleven billion dollars in annual sales, and it's stuff that almost everything that you buy there you can get at Amazon. So at some point, it just got has to get digested. Do they become the you know? I, I just don't know, and I think that we're going to see a lot more. Um, it was an eighty dollars stock the, in, in 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 four years. Yeah, ago. And, and so now here's a story. You know, I, I mean, obviously you you like. You got to look at the free cash flow they have almost four billion dollars in debt a two billion dollar uh, market cap you know you say to yourself how do you get out of this given the headwinds that they have with some of their competition
1: all right well let's stay now with some earnings because check out shares of constellation brands stz the stock popping on better than expected results and jim kramer just sat down exclusively with the company's ceo he asked about the company's investment in canopy growth which has not always gone as smoothly as hoped
2: well, as, as, as you know, as well as anyone, uh, anytime you have a startup industry, there's spits and spurts attached to it. What we're excited about is Canopy remains the share leader in Canada and the largest seller of cannabis around the world. Now we're putting in place a person that you've acknowledged yourself is a great seasoned executive who will bring discipline and focus to the leadership of that business. So we remain very bullish about it. Admittedly, there will be times when we get spits and spurts in the cannabis business, but we think the long-term play around that uh, will be quite healthy.
1: All right. So as always, you can catch the full interview tonight with Jim on Mad Money. Starts, of course, 6 p.m. Eastern time. So, Tim. Let's talk about STZ. What is your take on the stock right here?
0: Well, again, let's get back to their core business, which is this is the best in class in beer. And these guys are actually growing their beer business 7%. They're growing their, 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 their net profit, essentially, on the beer business 8 to 9%. Um, they've, the, the Gallo acquisition and some divestitures tightens this thing up a lot. Um, this, is, this is to me one of the most aggressive spirits companies in the world and they've gone after uh, certain markets and they've done it very well. In fact, they were one of the main beneficiaries of Bud having to divest uh, essentially Modelo and they, they got it. Their move into cannabis was also very aggressive. Was it early? Who knows? Um, David Klein taking over as the CEO there, used to be the CEO of Constellation, should give everybody, and I think that's what that conversation was about, a lot of confidence here. So I am long Constellation. I'm long Constellation for Constellation, uh, but there's a lot of people that like it because it gives them some confidence of their cannabis exposure.
2: In terms of price, and Tim was on this the other day, Mike Coe, I think, did a hit on this. You know, last quarter, maybe the stock got ahead of itself in terms of price of the quarter it's traded down to about 175, 180. Now I think it got too negative into this quarter. And we discussed that. I think valuation makes sense. Margins seem to be improving. You know, I think the canopy initiative or canopy investment is going to be really interesting for these guys and gals. I think you can continue to own the stock despite the fact that it's up 5.5%, 6%. But, today.
4: Guy, presumably the market knows these things. And this is a stock that peaked almost two years ago when all the staples were rallying last year. This one didn't participate. So I have to just ask, well, what's wrong? What is the chart trying to tell us here? It's... Right back at the 200. It's a level it's failed at uh, in the past. That 190, 195 level, I think, is difficult. I'd be a seller here. I think there are better things to do in this sector than STZ. Okay, good discussion then. Well, as you know, as well
1: as anybody, anytime you have a startup industry, there are spits and spurts mm. attached to it. Interesting. We're excited about Canopy, and it remains the share leader in Canada and the largest seller of cannabis around the world. That's what we just heard. But up next, we're going to talk more about this and great seasoned executives. We're going to bring discipline and focus to the business. I just got off a plane. I'm woefully unprepared. Give me a break. All right, on deck is a sale in the cards for Grubhub and who could be a potential buyer. We have got some opinions and options on that. And then later on, one options trader just made a nearly $4 million bet. The markets could go wild. We're going to tell you how and how you can make money on it. If I'm still here after the break, stick around. all right welcome back to fast money investors grabbing up grub hub shares the delivery service soaring as much as 17 percent today on reports it's hired financial advisors for a possible sale other stocks that are sort of around that space uber with uber eats yelp they review restaurants also rallying on this report dan do you think there could be much more to the story
3: um you know they could listen there was a time last year when vc was investing in this in private markets and they really loved this whole theme. They like it much less now. Um, they don't like it it's part of Uber either. So I'm not really sure about what sort of scenarios. I haven't given it a whole heck of a lot of thought where you put some combinations together and the two pieces together are worth more than what they are right now. We've seen a lot of money just lit on fire in the last 24 months trying to do exactly what these guys do. And I think the Petercroft decline that we saw over the last year in Grubhub tells you that there's a lot of competition. Sales growth for this company has just ground to a halt. It's going to be maybe 12% this year, 12% next. So I'm not certain. I don't think you go out and buy it because they might get uh, sold.
4: I tend to agree. I think this is the area where you sell the stock. You just went 30 to 60 over the last couple months. You had what looked like capitulative volume today, 20 million shares. I think that's a good enough reason to let it go here. You're right back at the 200. Again, we failed here before. Things in downtrend should be sold at the 200. I think Grubhub is the epitome of that.
1: Any other play? Do you buy an Uber on this news, Guy, because if Grubhub sells itself or maybe, you know, changes its model and you've got Uber Eats sitting out there, does that make it look more attractive?
2: I, 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 no, I don't think for Uber. I mean, i stay long lift, I think, is a name that will continue to prove itself. I mean, the quarters have been good and they have a pathway to profitability. We've talked about that. I push back a little bit here on Grubhub. I mean, if you go back in November, we broke down from 59 in a meaningful way. I mean, I know that's not that far from here, but that's another 8%. So I do think there's further upside. I think these things tend to overshoot to the downside. And in this case, I think it'll overshoot to the upside. Yeah, you know,
0: And back to these IPOs that are around a bit. I mean, I, I, in Uber's case, I don't think there's an invisible sun on this one. I think you actually have a case where um, there's been a lot of bad news for this company. And although we said it's going to get better and it's too complicated, maybe they'll divest Uber Eats and no, they have to become.
1: Uh, Jim Cramer had a great tweet on Uber. He basically had a picture of Uber Eats and he said, "Sell this stupid business." That was his word. And, right. and the stock went well, forty. I think he agrees. There's no synchronicity. It, it, right. If you between watch the show here, I, mean, I, mean, I mean,
3: we've been talking about that thematically: the Lyft versus Uber. I mean, in, you know, VCs were just pouring money into Uber. They wanted more geographies. They wanted more businesses. They wanted more. Well, everything to they Paul. did was magic at one point. What, but, but the so, point is, public investors would love to see a more focused business and that's one of the reasons what are you doing
2: it's all police lyrics the band police if you have missed it yeah i'm in synchronicity on this one are you okay i'm sorry i didn't know if you weren't playing the game with us okay well the upshot. my my point we're
1: having tea in the sahara you know okay (laughs) coming up one options trader is making a big bet on market risk what are they and how are they betting and how can you profit stick around to find out as always we are live at the nasdaq in times square more fast money still ahead All right, a new year, but the same story as 2019. Stocks breaking out to brand new, all-time highs today. This in part after President Trump announced that Iran appears to be standing down his term after firing missiles at American targets in Iraq. But if you are only looking at the stock market, you may not even have realized there was a major international incident last night, maybe more than one. The volatility index has barely moved throughout the last week. VIX at 13 and a half. One trader in the options market is betting... Nearly $4 bucks. And market volatility could skyrocket in the near future. Mike Coe is in San Francisco with the options. Action, Mike. What are you seeing? What is this trader doing?
10: Sure. So very shortly after the open today, around 940 this morning, we saw a call volume in VIX outpacing put volume by about 4 to 1. Now, it is common for calls to outpace puts, but this is still double the normal uh, ratio that we would see. That was a result of a single very large trade. Somebody purchased 75,000 of the February 25 VIX calls. They spent about 49 cents a contract for each of those. And the better bet, of course, is that it's going to rise above 25 by February expiration if you're going to hold it that long. And that obviously would be a big increase. Now, I want to point out that the important thing here is that when you're looking at VIX options, they actually represent the VIX futures. And we can actually see what they might be betting on if we take a look at how the VIX futures behaved overnight. They actually really spiked. They do trade overnight. We saw them spike over 18 overnight on that news of what was going on in Iran. Obviously, they fell off quite sharply here. And earlier, we heard Dan talking about how to hedge your portfolio, maybe buying at the money puts. This is more equivalent to buying out of the money puts 50 day 20 delta puts or so kind of I think what Tim was talking about a way to hedge a portfolio. My guess is that's what this trader is doing.
1: Wow. That is, that is a bold move, Dan. Nathan, what do you think of it? Would you make that bet?
3: You know, you know Mike did a great job explaining how VIX um, f- options trade against the futures are pretty complicated for, I think, a lot of retail investors. But one of the things I think are really interesting when you see a slug of options trade like that, they're really liquid. You see large institutions. This p- player came in right after the opening and bought these things up. And so if you were to get the next set of bombs, like I said, it's a worse scenario. You might see a VIX. North of twenty, and this would be a good way to
0: protect. Effectively, bombs are away,
1: but we're okay. Okay, good stuff, Tim. Thank you. For more options action, check out our full show, which is every Friday 5:30 p.m. Eastern. The final trades are up next. All right, let's get your final trade to go around the horn. Tim Seymour, kick us off.
0: Yeah, um, one world is not enough. Baba added to today, and in fact, I do think this is a stock that can continue to run in twenty.
4: Chris. I like GE here. The street hates it. I think it goes to 15. Wow.
3: Man. Uh, two months ago, Pinterest broke down below its IPO price. It's kind of coming out of it here. I think you play for a breakout of up 20 in the
2: Got to tell you, Jonesy and Jason back in EC doing great job with the music tonight. I think we should give them props, which I just did. And I will say Eli Lilly will continue to rally into earnings, Brian.
1: You did a great job. And you guys are all the Outlandos d'Amor. And I appreciate oh, it. Nice. I'll see you tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Kramer begins right now.